When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Master Your Mindset Podcast, the spot to get your mind right. I'm so pumped to talk to Tom Short, who is the Chief Growth Officer at Lappin 180. I'm pumped to understand what that looks like. And a former FIBA and NC, NC2A Division I men's basketball official. So I can't wait to learn what he learned in that arena. Tommy, what's up, bro? What's up, Colin? Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. Let's go. And, and I forgot to mention, maybe one of the best content creators on LinkedIn. Oh, I don't know about that. If you're that. in business, if you're a leader, if you're a performer of any kind, if you're a parent, uh, Tom has got the best content on LinkedIn. I always like it, reshare, I always learn something. But uh, how about this? How about you give us kind of your story on how you how you grew up? Absolutely. So I uh, grew up in Indy. Um, how I got into officiating is when I had a bad attitude um, when I was playing grade school basketball, but I always appreciated the referees who weren't robots. They maybe didn't tell me what I wanted to hear, but they at least took the time to interact with me. And it wasn't like one specific interaction, but I always remember thinking, like, I appreciate those referees who came and just talk to me. Right. And I'm like, that'd be pretty cool to do one day, fast forward college, everything else. Um, and I've always said like, I want to get into that. And it's like anything else, success leaves clues. So it's like, all right, let me go find who's doing this at the high school level. Who's doing this at the college level. You start working little kids games all day on a Saturday. Then you, you know, move into high school and you get into college and then FIBA came along. Um, but I always appreciated the refs that had a conversation. And to me, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be one of those refs who's firm, but fair, can have dialogue. You might not like what I say, um, but that's okay because that's part of the game. We're just a small piece. And the more that you don't know who officiated, the better the game that we had. That's great. And then maybe give us some stories about some crazy coaches, some, some players, or maybe what you learned I mean, because the best officials, you don't notice that they're there. Mm -hmm. Correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now we have some people, and I, I recently stepped away, but I still have some colleagues who, uh, and I won't mention any names, but they, they, like to, they like it to be known that they're on the game. But the truth is, whether it's myself or anyone else, you take one of us off the court, the game will still go on. None of us are bigger than the game. Um, so a couple of stories, I, I one of the stories I think that your audience will appreciate is the, my work with the 2012 Olympic team. Um, so for your listeners, uh, a, a brief background on the roster, just littered with future Hall of Famers. So the starting five was Chris Paul running the point, Kobe, LeBron, Carmelo, and Tyson Chandler in the five. That was your starting five. Off the bench, and this is when they were all still with OKC, Durant, Westbrook, Harden, Darren Williams running the point and Blake Griffin. So that was your, now Blake got hurt. So they brought in some guy who'd gone to Kentucky, Anthony Davis. 
I don't know if you heard of him. He was the 12th man on that team. Um, and then Andre Iguodala and Kevin Love rounded out the squad. So, so two, two stories, and it'll give context into our conversation today about overall mindset and understanding how important this is and, and how the elite understand that this is what separates them from a good player and a great player. So we're running situational plays, Colin, and this particular play, someone got hurt. So Anthony Davis came in. He wasn't even going to practice, but he's, and this is close to the media, just the officials, the, the team staff and, and the team and, and the coaches are coach K coach Bayheim, maybe coach painter, um, coach hop, who's now at Washington. Um, so it was just like a who's who of, for, for basketball. So we're running side, side out with like four seconds on the shot clock. There's a high screen. I think Durant maybe screened somebody and AD comes off in the lane, catches the ball. He's going to have a wide open layup. When I say Anthony Davis's head snapped back like one of those crash test dummies in the car commercials because Kobe two hands shoved him from the free throw line and AD ended up past the basket out of bounds. I've never been in shock in my officiating career where like whistle comes out and like jaws open. And I was like, did I really just witness that? And I won't repeat to your listeners exactly what Kobe said, but it was something along the lines of get this toothpick out of here. He doesn't deserve to be on the court with us. And I was like, wow, like this guy takes practice way more serious than the game. And he was very serious in games, but like practice, that was everything to him. And so like, that was my first introduction and being in that environment. I've never been around NBA guys. It only been college up until that point. And so that was, that was my first sense and, and, and real taste of like what elite looks like. And to even know that even at that level, there's not a ceiling of like, Hey, we, we made it to the Olympic team. It's, Hey, there's a different level and people are trying to separate themselves even at this level. So what happened? Was there a fight? No, I mean, you know, obviously AD was, was upset and uh, Kobe Jeez. was definitely the alpha on that, on that team. I mean, he made it known like, Hey, this is my team. Um, I'm going to set the standard. So you better come meet it because I'm not lowering it. And so, you know, they separated them and, and Kobe had some choice words. Um, and then the other story that I'll share is Westbrook was guarding Kobe. Kobe scored six straight possessions, but, and I've heard stories of Kobe doing this before he was like, he, he knew how to get into people's mind. Like he, it was a deliberate technique he used to get into other people's head. He didn't say one word to Russell the entire time that he was just scoring on him. He was talking trash to Harden and Durant to tell them you better come help your boy because this is going to go on all night. And I, at this point I'm like, what's Russ going to do to Kobe? Like I, I've never been around this guy, but he hasn't said one word. Like I'm kind of, it's like, you know, the person that loses a family member and isn't grieving. It's like, okay, like he should be saying something at this point, this is six straight possessions. Um, and, and so it was just, just into the mindset of Kobe and, and how much he entrenched himself in the practice and in the competition with himself. He wasn't, he wasn't competing with the other guys. He was as a byproduct, but it was that internal competition, which I think so many people don't understand. That's really how, you know, like James Clear talks about in Atomic Habits, that's how you compound little gains that become the big gains over time. So th those were really the two stories that stand out of like, cool. okay, this is, this is another level.
so and, and you you officiated like a, in basketball at with the the athletes in college and those huge programs you travel the country those those pro players maybe what are some other traits that you noticed that like these these guys are elite and, and here's a why so i would say even i'm going to kind of take it a little different direction you know there was a and, and you know this as a as a former athlete Current athlete. I just got a new baseball glove last week at Dick Sporting Goods. Come on. <laughs> okay, current athlete. It's kind of like you didn't you, you didn't write books. I, I'm a I'm a author, so it's still ongoing. All right, I get it. I'll I'll, I'll let you hang on to your to your glory years. Um, you know, we always hear in, in in sports, coaches say next play, Colin, next play. But I never heard in my ten years uh, officiating a Division One. I, I never heard a coach, and I asked several coaches like, what does that mean? And so where I'm going with this is I, I was amazed at the beginning, but then I realized that only a certain few know how to have a process in place for when they make a mistake, to turn that off, not attach their worth to that play. Because I remember when I was tracking games and watching film, I could tell you with certainty that it was like 75, 80% of the time when Colin made a turnover or was part of a offensive mistake, 75 to 80% of the time, I wasn't even watching the play. I honed in on Colin because I knew Colin did not have the emotional stability to let that play go. And he was going to come down and commit a foul. 100%. It was a red flag. There was like two or three red flags I had during games. And that was one of them of like, all right, this guy committed a turnover or he missed an assignment. He can't go on to next play because no one's ever explained to him how to mentally do that. He didn't have the process in place. So he would come down and commit. So he was like, hey, Colin made a turnover. All right, this just made my job a whole lot easier. So that was the biggest thing, like just the emotional maturity of athletes that coaches never taught. And I'm sure there's some out there that, that get into the, the mindset and the self-talk and awareness and all that. But I was surprised even at the high, high division one level, how often players didn't, didn't have something in place to actually move on to next play. Because next play is something you hear all the time in sports coaches are just saying it to yeah. in the face. Next and I'll play. just chime in. I got, I learned this from my, my boy, Graham Betchart, follow him on Instagram, Graham, the guide. Uh, he's a, a basketball mindset coach trained like the, the best hoopers. Um, and he calls it next play speed. Mm -hmm. And he coaches the phrasing next play speed. How fast can we get to that next play? And he's even said, and you can watch a, a game on, on TV, like what you're describing, you can physically witness their body transform and slouch and, you know, they, they pout or they yell at the officials and they're not in the present moment. They're not, you know, getting back on defense or their, their, their focus is in the stands or the coach. So in practice, we can physically train. Let's have an elite next play speed. That last play is over. It's done. Let's just focus on how we're going to win this next play. So coaches, parents, let's not worry about the outcome of the result. Let's focus on, let's get back to that present moment. The fastest we can get to that next play is going to give us the best chance to uh, win. Um, but Absolutely. let's talk about how you transitioned. Actually, do you have another, another trait? That, so that, that would, was I, one. Yeah, so I, I would say the, the emotional stability and, and being mm -hmm. able to, to, to move on. Um, the other trait I would, that's a good question. I always went to like the things that I saw like players not doing that I was like, man, if I was an assistant coach, I would, I, I will tell you this. And I said this to numerous head coaches, turn on any college basketball game. There's 18 guys over there on the bench behind the bench. And I'm like, great. 
Billy, the kid over there is tracking how many deflections. Okay, that's great. I would have a body language coach and people like think I'm nuts. I would have a body language coach sitting right next to me as the head coach and his job. I don't care if it's the star player or it's the seventh or eighth guy off the bench. As soon as his body language sucks, he's out of the game because he's just it's it's going to leak into the other player. I just saw it too often where it's like you 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 go the other team goes on like a seven zero run and now everybody's like, well, you could, you could just see it. It was palpable. Everyone is like putting their head down. As I always told coaches, why do you not have a body language coach? So as soon as he turns it, because that's something we can choose. We choose how we respond to, every, we can't choose what happens, but we can choose how we respond. So I would have pulled someone off. Um, and, and then the other, the trait, it wasn't something I saw, but just from talking to coaches was, was the preparation there were certain players that you didn't have to tell, Hey, you need to work on your craft. They, they put in the time. And I know that that might sound well like, yeah, okay. Yeah. That sounds simple. It sounds simple, but do you do it? And that's what separates. That's another separation that I saw is from talking to coaches and seeing these players is, is the preparation. Do you look forward to preparing as much as you do for performing? Because preparation you know chris beard who's a coach at texas tech he says we have 320 days to practice obviously there's some dead time and all that you, you can work on your own and we only, we only play 30 games but is your preparation in congruence with the time that you have to practice and play and most oftentimes with the elite it is and for the others it's not and it's obvious yeah, and, and that's the whole the adage to to fall in love with the process to love this concept, the journey is the reward, not the outcome. Mm -hmm. And just be obsessed with what you're doing, your craft, whether it's sport, business, music, playing chess, is just to love that process. And every day is a, really a great chance to get better. So, and if I'm coaching young performers, I say, <clears throat> make practice by yourself harder than practice with your team and try to elevate your, you know, how intense and make it challenging with your teammates harder than like games. So when you get to games, like, ha, this is like Christmas. I get to apply all the things that I've done, but I think a lot of performers, they like waste practice. They're just there just dribbling or just shooting, but they're not getting game like reps or making it harder or having a risk. If they don't execute a certain thing, what's going to happen. But now there's certain times in practice, you got to get your, your skills developed, but sure, we need to elevate I, am I practicing with a purpose? Another thing about process is, is having habits and routines, which you can scale. It's called being consciously competent by doing these enough times we get to the state of, I can do this without thinking. So do you have how you warm up, how you prepare, what playlist, how you sleep, you know, your routine in the, in the morning, uh, how you, you know, again, warm up and what you say, your routines physically, emotionally, when you're out there on the field, the court, the gym, in, in your, your car before a sales call or, before you, you you present virtually, let's keep these the same. So when it comes time to, to perform, you don't have to think. So that's just my little attitude you know, as a mindset coach. That's why I love having these these conversations. But to let's, your, let's, to yeah, your point, ahead. Colin, I still to this day and and no coach, they kind of just like brush their shoulders and like kind of shrug it off, and they're like, yeah, it's just what we do. And I'm like, I've never understood. And I can only speak to basketball. You could probably chime in with football why you would do anything an hour before the game or 20 minutes when you come on the court, why you would do anything in that 20 minute warm up that you would not do in the game. 
here's an example, the three-man weave. When's the last time you've seen a three-man weave in a game? To me, that's like, that's pointless. Then they do this other drill, which is the most asinine thing I've ever seen. One guy runs to the corner. And so there's, there's two or three guys. And then the other guys run into this corner and it's a layup. And then he hands it off. Now he's going to the other corner. And it's like, when are you ever, now I get it if it's just a conditioning, but like the underhand shots from half court. Okay. There is an aspect of staying loose, but it's like, are we going to do this in a game? And, and it's like in sales, like most people don't even have a process in place for what they do before an in-person call or before a zoom call. It's like, well, I'm just going to get on the phone. Right. Like there's no priming. There's no, to your point, there's no habit. There's, there's not no routine that they can enter into because either one, they've never been taught that number two, they don't see any, they're like, they can't correlate value to that. And so they're like, they just show up any elite performer doesn't show up. They have a process in place and how to prime their mind to get ready for what they're about to do. Well, and I would say that that weave or that drill where you have someone shoot a layup, someone rebounds and and kicks it out to the corner. I I, I did, I did those drills too. Uh, Maybe it's just to loosen up, warm up, get your body moving. Um, But all it is, is let's keep those warm ups, how you warm up in practice, the same, how you do in game. So it creates this trigger uh, once I step on this line, once the ball starts bouncing or whatever it is, like I'm going to lock it in, lock in, lock out. Um, but uh, let's talk about lapping 180 and kind of what, what you're doing now. I know the the phrasing is uh, changing the conversation, changing the results. And you showed me a little a, a ball that kind of squishes. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. It says something about mindset. Change your mindset. It. Yeah. Change your mindset, you know. Uh, and I, I – I, hey, team, I want you to visualize a pie graph. Me and Tom were kind of talking pre pre show, and I drew like a little tiny sliver, and I wrote the word selling, and like ninety eight percent of that pie graph is the word mindset. So to me, sales psychology beats sales strategy. Well, so maybe give us some insights on your guys's vision, your your mission. Yeah. So really, what it comes down to, and you hit it right on the head, if there's kind of two camps, right? There's maybe even three. There's, there's the one that they don't invest in their team with, with any training. And that's fine. Like that's just leadership's vision or, or whatever. Then you have, like we were talking about, you do have teams that invest in like product training, right? It's like, here's our product. Here's our service. This is what we're going to do. And then the other camp realizes that in order to have a different conversation. It takes things like we were talking about before the show, empathy, having the self-awareness when you're in a conversation to not come in with a preset agenda of questions of like, I'm just gonna pepper Colin with these questions. It's having an idea of framework, but also understanding that your prospect is probably bringing in their own unspoken agenda. And so like, they don't, they don't want to feel like you want or need something from them. They've got their own bias. They've got their own loyalties and not to mention fear of change is, you know, one of the top five fears that, that human beings have. And since prospects are humans, they've got those same. So yeah, I think too often we see people, um, sales teams where if they do invest in their team, it's minimal and it's, Hey, here's our product and our service. And it's like, okay, everyone's doing that. So how can we have a different conversation and it's not worried about the result. It's, it's focused on the conversation. Maybe it makes sense for Colin. Maybe it doesn't, but my role is to have that 
advisor conversation and not just, hey, let me dig at Colin's pain and, and try to get to the next step where we see a lot of people in sales. And the, the last thing I'll add to that, this, you know, you're always going to have a handful of people. It's just right time, right place. It doesn't really matter what you say. But oftentimes, a lot of sales leaders confuse that with success. And that that just means that you're in the right time, right place. It wasn't really anything that you did because a lot of sales leaders that I see, they always want to go to the results or the scoreboard. And they're like, well, we, you know, our numbers weren't up, so we need to change the results. But it's like, well, what are you doing on a daily basis? Like what effort is the team putting in? What routines do they have? Are they, are they consistent? Are they tapping into mindfulness or meditation? Are they doing something to ground themselves? What kind of priming routine? So there's all those things that you and I talked about before that for whatever reason, sales is lagging or business in general is lagging the sports world by miles when it comes to understanding what elite performers are. Because at the end of the day, if you're in sales, that's your performance. It's the conversation you're having with the other person. Yeah, and I, I tell this to, to sales leaders or if you're a VP of a company, um, with the, the current trending of like anxiety, stress and worry and all these things that we're facing with COVID really showed this. I mean, it made even we're more aware of what's happening with, with wellness is like if you're not doing something for your team, you are being negligent. I'm going to use that word very bluntly and clearly negligent, managing stress, managing, you know, like what happens when they're at home that carries over to them at work and vice versa. So if we're not working on the whole human being, you're being negligent. Um, but uh, we were also talking kind of pre-show and I also had these conversations. Like if you give me two sales teams, sales team A, we're going to just teach them how normal sales training is. Here's the product. Here's the service. Here's some questions you ask. And here's how the, the product works. And it's kind of nuances of the, of the market. Go out and sell. You have, you know, sales group B, we're going to talk about product service knowledge. We'll give them, you know, just a basic high level overview of that, but we're going to spend 80% of our time to teach self-awareness, the power of self-talk, mindfulness, how to stay present, you know, uh, a clear, a clear self-image that's, that's, that's productive and positive, um, how to deal with fear, doubt, change, failure, you know, how to be process focused, you know, focus on the process, not just the outcome, you know, how to connect as a group, having, you know, powerful skills of, of, um, um, maybe you can fill in the blank, um, um, empathy of, uh, of joy of like listening intently. So that team is going to destroy sales group. A. it's like, it's, it's not even gonna be close, but we're not no. doing that. We're not doing that. Right. Yeah. My, I'm with you. My, I can't remember who's a and B, but I'm going with the team that learns all those other skills that you had just B. mentioned. <laughs> sales team I'm, B. I'm with sales team things. B. Um, okay. yeah. And you know, now that, you know, hearing you say this, that goes back to your question about what did I notice um, that kind of separated elite basketball players. And it was having those things like they understand, you know, like you say, not N-O fear, but knowing fear, right? K-N-O-W, no fear. Fear, self-doubt, and, and, and negative self-talk, that never goes away. But what do you have in place to bounce back from that quicker next play speed as, as Graham would say to overcome those things but if you never work on it you can't just expect that in the in the heat of a conversation that your heart starts beating faster and it's like well I'm just I, I'll know what to do you have to train those and those can be trained skills so that when you are in a conversation you're able to 
be where your feet are, stay grounded and, and have that peer-to-peer conversation. But I'm with you. My money's on, on team B all day long. Yeah. So you can influence other people. That's really what selling is. You want to bring value, listen, and really move them from here's where we are. Here's where, here's where we could be. But what we're missing on is before you can influence somebody else, you have to influence yourself first. Mm. Like, do you believe in you? Are you maximizing what you have? Do you have the awareness of let's use some of your strengths, some of your experiences to tie in, to make the, the message different, to stand out, to be curious about, you know, the customer, but like to just optimizing, which and I fear is the biggest, biggest thing that that's really stopping us from, from greatness. Um, if, if you were going to uh, give us a few keys, we got salespeople listening, um, any, any tangible drills we can do, any tangible concepts that like you've used that helped you? Cause you're out selling I mean, you're out trying to get yeah. people in on, on the, uh, you know, so maybe give us, if there's any, like, I can give you a few, but do you have yeah. like maybe one, one, two or like three? Yeah. Like I keys? Can, I can, yeah. yeah. So I've developed, it's, it's a two page sheet. Um, it's not called anything fancy, just my mindset. And I've recorded it into my phone. So this first thing I do in the morning, I'm, I'm reading that uh, in the car, I'm listening to it. So it's getting ingrained in me and it's helping me get into a place where I'm not worried about any outcome. I'm, I'm entering into all of these conversations with this mindset of this conversation could potentially be the answer to their prayers, not mine. So the answer to my prayers is commission, more sales, our prospects don't care about that. But when you have this mindset that a conversation might help someone, we don't know who, so that's why we want to have as many conversations as possible. But when you have this mindset that a conversation could potentially help the other person, you remove all of that self-worth that you're attaching to the outcome. Because when your self-worth is attached to that outcome and then it doesn't go as planned, then you crumble up into a hole. And then what you whatever you had planned for that day, you're like, well, I don't rejection's no fun. Like, I don't, I don't want to experience that again. I'm just going to, I'm going to send emails or like just become complacent and get comfortable. And I'll do that tomorrow. Right. I think that's the most dangerous word in the English vocabulary is tomorrow. So what I do to prime myself before I call or before a conversation, that's the big thing. Another thing, and, and, and you know, Dr. Ken Revisa, uh, and I got this from him and I used it on the court and I still use it um, today on the court, I always knew that there would be two shot clocks, right? I always knew every, every arena is different, but they all have two shot clocks. And so whenever I had a bad call, either I missed a call or I had a call that was clearly incorrect, ears of commission versus ears, ears of omission, I would always pick the top left-hand corner of the shot clock and just say to myself, that play wasn't me, next call. Because I needed a physical, I, I needed to verbalize that to myself to get myself to snap out of it. Then during media timeouts to bring myself, because right, here's, here's where we go wrong. We start going, you know, to the future of like, oh, I missed this call. Now I'm going to miss all these other calls. And so now you're not even, you're not even present. So a mindfulness practice I had during the game, and I still use it today. I just, I have to read other things in my office. And, and I always say this, depending on who I'm talking to, certain arenas have more banners than others. Um, you know, 
some schools just had more championships. So it was, it was harder to read. Or if I went to Rice, it was all the um, road scholars and all the, all the smart players. They didn't really have Conference USA championship banners. But what I would do during that media timeout, because you got to think about it, you're in, you're in an arena, I've got 10,000 fans, half of them hate me, the other half think I don't suck just as bad because the call went against them. And so what am I going to do? Am I going to let in? I've got one coach probably yelling at me and the other coach thinks I'm probably playing favor to the other coach because I'm talking to him and I've got my two partners. So I have all these different. So what I would do to reset my mind is I would just look up and I would start reading the banners. I would completely block everything out and I would, I would start reading banners, whatever they said, maybe in, you know, some media timeouts were 90 seconds, some were two minutes. So what I can do now, I, you know, when people get rejected on a call or it doesn't go how they anticipate right now they're attaching their self-worth to that so the best thing you can do is pick up the phone again or how do i get that next conversation or where can i drop in next to have that face-to-face me so now if i experience that I'll start reading folders or things in my office because that's going to bring me back to the present. And then I know I have, um, I'm not wearing it right now, but I've got my, I came up with values. Um, This is kind of a whole nother level, but when you understand what your values are and what your personal standard is, you have a deeper reason for doing what you do. Um, So mine is each day is the first day. And then on the back, it says change the room. Because every room I walk into, I know I can change that room. That's up to me. That's attitude and effort. I control that 100%. And then each, the acronym is, I know that if I amplify or if I really hone in on these four characteristics throughout the day, each day, I'm going to set myself up for success. How can I be more empathetic? How can I be more authentic, unapologetically authentic? How can I be more childlike? If you have kids out there, you know that, I mean, Colin, you still have some young ones in the house. They, do you know that the average kid smiles 400 times a day? Do you know how many times the average adult smiles during the day? Like 10. 15. Seven. Yeah. 15. So how can I just embrace that? Chi- like it's sales, like have fun. No one says you, you know, you get to do this. You don't have to do anything. And then H is, is humility. I don't have all the answers. So that I know that, that's how I can kind of tap back into my values every single day, whether something doesn't go as planned. But um, so those were a couple of tools that I, that I mentioned. I, I would encourage all of your listeners, like if you haven't done a value exercise, uh, you know, Dr. Gervais talks about your personal philosophy. Mm-hmm. Just find a list of, you know, a couple hundred, maybe a hundred different values and, and just go down the list and circle what you think stands out. What is, what is mm-hmm. you? And it's going to be different for everybody. But I think when you have that foundation, it, it just makes the times when they might not be going as, as planned. You're like, okay, so what now? What? Let's like, I'm not going to just sit here. Let's, let's get up. Let's go. I've got the things in place. That's not who I am. Next call. Let's go. Yeah. And yeah, I love this phrasing. Don't find yourself, build yourself, create yourself. And it's yeah. kind of like, what, what traits do I want to emulate? What, what values, what guiding principles are important to me? And the exercise I teach people is to have a truth triangle. So you're going to draw a triangle which also means means delta, that shape means delta, means change. It's also pointing upwards, which I like. Yep. So the exercise is there, there's three sides of a triangle. The inside of the triangle is, is what are your what are your truths? So how, like, how do you want to show up? What's your intent? And how do you want to like be seen, be heard? When people talk about you, what, what you want to be known for, but like what do you want to experience 
and exude in the moment. This is not outcome-based. It's like, well, these are how I want to show up. These are the emotions I want to feel. So my truths are to be authentic, to be present, and to be courageous. So we both share to be authentic. Uh, and then on the outside are my like core values, like the, the behaviors and the actions I want to emulate daily. And I talk about being a G, gratitude, giving, growing mm-hmm. every day. So I have I like it. six words and it's just like, it's a symbol, it's a shape. Um, so that's, that's legit, man. Um, as we kind of wrap up, I, I love your philosophy on how to prospect mm-hmm. and how you connect with, 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 with customers. Because nowadays you got LinkedIn, you got email, like no, no one's picking up the phone, first of all. Are they? Um, what's that? Is that what you're telling yourself? I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I encourage people to pick up the phone, but it's like, how many, how many spam DMs do you get on LinkedIn and emails? And it's providing no value. Um, so I'd love to kind of pick your brain on, like, how can we be more impactful and different and stand out um, when we're looking to get new, new clients? So I'm going to start there. And then my like other question is, I'm going to pick your brain and your philosophy on how you make some dope content online. But let's talk about that kind of first one. Absolutely. So first and and you'll appreciate this be careful of the story that you tell yourself that's that's one of my big things that i always tell any person that's in sales be careful of the story that you tell yourself because i would i would venture to say colin and this is from talking to leadership teams uh, members of the c-suite vps of sales that the average prospect gets 120 emails a day 120 right? So you're fighting for their attention of, of 120. Now in my, I, I've heard different numbers. The average calls that a prospect gets is maybe two or three. So yeah, you're, you're banking on if they're going to answer, but then that's when you adopt a long-term, like I'm not here to, right? Like the old way of thinking is I have to set meetings today. The new way of thinking is I get to start conversations on your timing. It has nothing to do with my timing. So how you establish your cadence and and that's gonna establish credibility with you. Like if my goal is just to set a meeting, like I'm gonna pressure you into it. And how many times do we like to be pressured into anything? We don't. So maybe you switch up the times that you call. CEOs or VPs of sales are usually in the office early. So I, I tell people like 7.30 is probably the earliest I would go local time but try to get them between 7.30 and 8.30 because that's kind of when they're still in like planning mode before the office gets busy or even maybe the kids are up. So try that and then try towards the end of the day. Um, But have a strategy of long-term, not this, like how do I just get Colin to a meeting tomorrow? But I think so often, and maybe it's either the leadership or just just the scarcity mindset of like, oh, I've got to get this appointment today or else it's like, no, when it's right for him, like, give value. The biggest thing I see with salespeople is whether the message is on the phone or an email or LinkedIn, it's all about them, their product or service. They mention their company on average three or four times. I never mentioned Lapin 180 because nobody cares. I'm going to talk about problems that I know other people in your industry are dealing with. I'm not saying you do, because I'm not going to make any assumptions about your specific business, how I can increase this or guarantee that like, no, 
but I know about problems that your peers are facing and it might make sense to have a conversation. Maybe it doesn't, but I'm gonna ask you a couple tough questions um, to start that conversation, whether it's phone or email, just to get you to think. But that's the number one missing ingredient in prospecting is emotion. We are not logical beings. We are emotional beings. And when you can tap into the emotion of problems and understanding that people make emotional decisions and then rationalize it with logic, that's when you start to see some small gains that will just build over time. Yeah. And, and I'm, 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 I try to s simplify everything. So you said a lot of great things there. If you were to summarize that in like two or three keys for us, yep. the listeners. Okay. Step one is to, to be patient. Long -term. Something like that. Think, yeah, be long-term. Number two is to have the empathy, put yourself in their shoes. Like, don't be a robot, you know? Use language that, hey, how am I going to solve your problem? Not just talk about me. Like, think about them. And then maybe you can fill in the blank with the, like, th the third key. I would say just get, get to the point. <laughs> Whether it's on the phone or email, no one wants to read this long-winded fancy jargon like just get to the point right just be like people's attention spans are even shorter so why are you know why are you reaching out why why would a conversation maybe make sense um you use words that you would use in a conversation don't use like fancy words that you create like we do that as salespeople for whatever reason like you and i are having a conversation right now but as soon as you put on like the mr prospect hat and i'm trying to convince you that you need to invest in sales coaching like i start using all these words that nobody uses in a conversation. And so those are probably the three kind of bullet points is play long-term, talk about problems and, and be concise. That's really cool. And I read a post you, you mentioned, you kind of already uh, highlighted this in sharing your approach was, you know, you're mad that, that, that prospect isn't responding to your message on LinkedIn. Well, they get 120 messages a week. It's not that they don't care that you're one of like a hundred, but like one was like a CEO or a, a director of a, a region or something said he's gotten three calls, just three phone calls. And he's getting like a hundred a week. And he actually did business with two out of those three calls. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. going, going old school on them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, I think yeah, anything you do, the, the onus is on the advisor, the salesperson, like it's not your, prospects job to respond like that's the most idiotic thing i've heard it's on you to how can you be creative how can you break through the noise and how can you provide something of value that might help them or their team do their job better that's what it boils yeah. down to and, and i had two core values when i was working at, at bard medical selling catheters my dad used to call me the catheter king let's go Bard medical <laughs> uh but when i was working my my with my clients and my customers and my accounts i would just make it very clear i would tell them you're talking about your your each value system i would go into my accounts and say you know ask some questions and talk about them but i said i'm just be very clear like what my purpose here in here is is number one is to bring value and make things easy for you that's mm -hmm. all i'm doing so if I'm not doing one of those two things, I'm not doing my job. So I want to bring you the most value of any person that walks in this door. Like, even if it doesn't help me, I want to be, I want to help solve problems. I want to like make, make your day better, make the day for your, your patients better. Yeah. I also, I want to make things so easy. I'm doing all the, the, the background work or the, the front end work to where you do nothing, but just execute what you got to do. 
my job is make you better, make you look better, make your life and job easier. So if I'm not bringing value and making things easy, I'm not doing my job. But I would tell them this. These are my values. So let me know how I'm doing those values. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, yeah. and then and then help me help me do that. So let's talk about you guys. OK, so now what how can we make your life easier? in this space of, you know, filling out, you know, order forms and getting patient stuff or yeah. you know, what, what, what things like, if, if we can make your life day a little easier to bring you value, what do you think, you know, just make turn it or make it all them. So that, that's, would be like an example of that. As we wrap up last question. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Bro, I love reading your content, dude. You're a, you're a good thinker, but you, you make it, things make sense to me. Like when you write stuff, like your posts, like if you're in business, you need to follow this dude, follow Tom <laughs> short on LinkedIn. So I can't wait for you to create an account on, on IG. Um, so like Twitter, are you, are you on Twitter? I'm not. Dude, you only you only got the one silo, huh? One LinkedIn. And and I didn't have LinkedIn until I came off the court. So I wow. just, you know, just, there's crazy. I mean, fan is short for fanatic. I just, I've heard too many things with officials where oh, people, okay. I see. I see. you know what I mean? So I was, yeah. I didn't have anything out there when I was on the court because but, but now you have a family and it's like, yeah. I'm, I'm protecting them. I'm keeping them out of it. So yeah, LinkedIn for right now. But, but give us, give us some, give us a masterclass on, on your, like how you, how you manage like the, 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 the your, your content, what you write, what, what you post. Cause it's, so, it's, it's awesome stuff. I appreciate that. So I'm of the belief that and we've talked about this, like whatever your lane is, like own that lane and, and people that are interested will, will find you, right? Like over time, don't, don't post or create stuff. How can I get the most likes? How can I get the most comments? Because I've had situations where I post stuff and I've had conversations started with people and they've never liked anything. So and don't get caught up in how many people view just, just do you kind of back to the A of, of me is authentic. Like I'm, so I, I'm, I'm going to talk about three things in every post. It's going to cover one of these three things. And a lot of times I'll connect either all three or at least two mindset, officiating and sales. I'm not going to talk about anything else. That's what I know. Mindset, officiating and sales. So that's kind of like stay in my lane there. Then the second thing is any post before just like posting and there's some, we won't get into like how I format and all that, but I will record what I'm gonna post as if Colin is sitting in my office or at my house and he and I are having a conversation with whatever I'm about to post. Because a lot of times back to what I said earlier, how we write is not how we converse. So I'll dict, I will physically dictate what I'm gonna post as if I'm having a conversation. Then I'll trans like type it out. And then I've got an app called Hemingway Editor that tells you what grade reading level it is because everything you write should be about the sixth grade level. So if it gets yeah. above sixth grade or if I have any sentences, I do this for email too. If it has any sentences that are hard to read or very hard to read, like I'm scratching those out. Um, so that's kind of my secret sauce. Hemingway Editor, $20, go ahead and get that. You can thank me later. Um, and I, I just, I talk about those three things and I, I make it easy and I, I, I don't like to get into the weeds too much about like science of things. I, I want to make it to your point relatable. And then I've got a unique perspective from officiating that not too many other people have. But like I tell people all the time, officiating was my PhD in human interaction from rejection, how to handle um, conflict resolution, how to have conversations in short bursts with someone who's upset with you, how to be a team player, but also have this 
question top of mind, how can I be the best partner tonight? And that will take care of everything I need to do for preparation and when I'm on the court. So all of tying all that in, um, and then from conversations like this, I've already written down three things that came to my mind while you and I were talking of ideas, or if I read other articles, I'll write something down and how can I tie that in? Maybe I read about being a dad or something. How can I tie that into officiating and sales? So I just, I get ideas from everyone. Um, I, I try to stay, in, I, I stay in my three lanes, officiating mindset and sport and sales. Um, and people seem to like it. I don't know. I think it's okay. No, but I, I bet you you got some deals because you're posting on LinkedIn. That's all we're saying. And But you're posting to post to bring value and to help and, no and to share what you've learned. You're not doing it, well, I hope this post is going to get some <laughs> sales director reach out to me. No, it's like, this is what I'm thinking. And to me, I think writing some of the, these things down and having structure, it's just going to it's gonna help you be more clean, more efficient. It's going to help to organize your thoughts when you're taking in content. Oh, that, that, that would fit in this bucket here with the fishing, or that would fit into sales. That would fit in the mindset. It helps organize your thoughts. And when you're um, learning new things, I think that's really, really cool. And, but again, it's just to separate yourself from the outcome and, and be of love, be of service. And if you expect nothing in return, you send out this frequency, man, this pheromone, this just abundance, this love Let's and go. good, good, thing, good, good uh, things come. Well, I, I enjoyed our conversation, man. I feel like we were on the same wavelength i'm so glad that we got connected on linkedin which is how we yes, got sir. connected so yes, you are in indy i'm in seattle but we're able to to connect converse i can see your face man that's a good looking head that's a good looking line behind you, you got a good look, look looking collared shirt i just well, got done working out I, I got the backwards hat and the the hoodie but it's all good um any any lasting things that knowing what you know now tom last question know what you know now what advice would you give your younger self and you can pick whatever time that you needed some some sage, uh, hey, Tom, this is what you need to be doing. This is what you need to stop doing. Can I say two? Sure. The first is, um, and I'll, I'll give context because I. people don't care about you. Your family cares about you. Your close friends care about you. Everyone else has so many things going on in their world. They don't care about you. And when you can remove that, thought from your head of worrying about what does Colin think about how I look? What is Colin, is Colin going to be worried about what I say? No. I mean, even before we got on our call here, I meditated, like, how can I show up and, and be of service? So the first thing I would tell my younger self is like, people don't care about you because they've got their own junk in their life. Like everybody's going through something, some big, some small, um, a quick video. I think all your listeners should go, go pull up on YouTube. Just type in Cleveland clinic empathy. Cleveland Clinic Empathy. It's about a five-minute video. Just go watch that. That's all I can say. Um, Cleveland Clinic Empathy. Just type it in YouTube. Um, so the first thing, people don't care about you. And then the second thing is be a better listener. And that sounds easy. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm a good listener. Are you? Do you, do you listen to speak? Do you listen to respond? Or do you listen to understand? Those are three very different listening capabilities. If you're listening just to wait till the other person's mouth stops moving, you're going to be in for a world of hurt. But when you show up and you want to listen to understand because you value that conversation, that interaction, watch how your conversations change. I don't care if it's in business, if it's with your wife, if it's with your kids, listen to understand. And it takes time and it, it can be, it's a practice but listen to understand. 
And what so you that, just what you just frame right there is you were able to have a zoom out from ourselves and reframe and look at a, a larger picture, a broader picture. And it's just this reminder, but people are not worrying about you. They're worrying about how, how they look. So day. that's it, man. Well, Tom, super fun connecting. Got great notes. I, I took uh, two pages of notes today, <laughs> man. I'm going to come back to this stuff. And I always learn a ton talking to you. So I'm, I'm grateful for your time, for your knowledge and all the great value that, that you offered. So to, to people to find you, would you say to go yeah. on, on LinkedIn? Do you have a website or? Yep. LinkedIn, um, Tom Short or my URL is mindset is everything um, or lappin180.com. You can check out what we're doing uh, on our website as well. Well, awesome stuff, man. We end every single podcast with this phrase. Maybe you can help me out. I don't know if you can. The body, the body has, limits. has limits, but the mind is limitless. Let's go. That's it, brother. All right, man. Thanks. Appreciate it.